3: I think believe that our job is to navigate the truth and to do the fact checking and all the rest of it. So I think that's what motivates. But I a think lot of the people. journalists
1: have taken it personally. Okay. They're personally wounded and offended by this man. He baits them and they dive in. And what he's done well, I thought, is appeal to their own narcissism, to their own ego. Because what he says is these are the and the journalists stand up and say, We are noble, we are honorable, how dare you, sir? And they take it personally. And now he's changed the conversation to not that his policies are silly or not working or any of those other things. It's all about the fight. He's he's able to tune out everything else and get people just focused on the fight.
3: He's going to yeah. win that. That's John Stewart, who with Dave Chappelle was talking to Christiane Amanpour of uh, CNN. Interesting conversation. I miss John Stewart. He's just a smart and insightful guy. I frequently disagree with him, but um, you know, a good disagreement gets the mind going. Uh, Coming up in in just a minute, I mean literally a minute or two, if you watch cable news, number one, stop it. It's bad for you. It's going to make you miserable. You'll have a much happier life not doing it. But if you watch cable news, you've heard a statistic over and over again in the wake of the horrific indefensible shooting of the poor people at the synagogue. That statistic is false, but you have heard it over and over again on NBC, MSNBC, CNN, all the alphabet networks, they cite it over and over again. But it's fake. It's just amazing. Uh, it has to do with uh, anti-Semitism. And I was listening to NPR, uh, who's, who get my tax dollars for reasons I can't figure out. But, um, And they were talking to various experts about Trump and his divisic, divisive rhetoric and how it's it's leading to anti-Semitism. And uh, to their credit, they had some people who were pretty skeptical about that premise. But uh, I would cite again the... Uh, the phrase we've been throwing around lately, Trump did not bring division. Division brought Trump. And if you don't understand that, you're part of the problem. I remember when the New York Times had about a 10-minute-long epiphany in the wake of the election that they had completely lost touch with the American people. And... To be surprised about the result of a presidential election is excusable. I mean, The electorate does funny things sometimes. But to be completely shocked and flabbergasted and horrified and brought to your knees, how can that be when enough of the country wants something and believes something that it literally surrounds you, yet you're so devastated and, and, and caught completely unprepared by that result? That you're brought to your knees. That's not about Trump. That's about you. You, and I'm looking at you, media, have such an enormous blind spot, you had no idea it was possible. So, you know, and I could go through the various divisive things Barack Obama said, because he said plenty of them. But I don't think there's any point. But back to the anti-Semitism thing. So the experts they were talking to hit on a couple of points that I thought were, were worth discussing and, and pretty ridiculous in, in most of the cases. Number one, they brought up the stupid trope that to be anti George Soros is to be anti Semitic because he's a Jew. Number one, Donald J could righteously be called a Zionist. He is so strongly pro Israel he He moved after President after president after president had vowed to move the embassy to Jerusalem in spite of the objections of uh, the Palestinians. He did it he repeatedly he exclusively comes down uh, hard on the side of Israel, whether it's in regional disputes with Iran or in the Palestinian mess or whatever. He could legitimately be called a Zionist. The idea that he's anti-Semitic is hilarious his his son-in-law's daughter are Jewish. He has many Jewish friends. He has never said anything that would hint at being anti Semitic. So back to the Soros thing. The idea the, the idea that to oppose George Soros is to be anti Semitic would be to be like saying to oppose the Koch brothers is to be anti German heritage. It's just dumb. And it's the sort of fake allegation of bigotry that gives cover to real bigots. If you're a white guy or a black guy and you walk into the room and you act like a jerk and you hurt people's feelings and you break stuff and you steal stuff, you're going to be called on it. And if the black guy then says you're a racist, well, sorry, no, no, humanity is not for objecting to the activities I've described. And that just gives gives cover to real racists. And it also devalues actual accusations or, or racism. So the Soros thing is just stupid. The other point they made was that Trump tends to uh, go for the conspiracy theory thing more than most presidents have. And the greatest conspiracy theory of all is the global Jewish conspiracy that Jews secretly control the world, which is absolutely a, a, a giant conspiracy theory that animates a lot of bigotry around the world to say if you believe in any conspiracy theory, including like the, um, you know the the systems fixed against the little guy, which is kind of relating to the next point, that somehow leads to anti-Semitism because believing in one conspiracy theory makes you believe in all of. Ah, that's pretty thin. That's pretty thin. If somebody's really not gifted with the power of you know, logical thinking, and they kind of get swept along that path. I suppose suppose that's possible, but that's yeah, just not a very strong point. And then the final thing they said is one thing that that, uh, that Trump does that really can lead to anti-Semitism is, is anti-elite rhetoric. And they played a clip of of Trump going after the elites. I, I don't like the elite. You're the elites. You people are the elites. Yay! And it was just populist nonsense, but... And the point was made that the anti-elitism is dangerous to Jews because they are prominent in Hollywood, in banking, in government, in law. And so to be anti-elite is to be anti-Jew. Well, my problem with that, and I'm going to walk down the street arm in arm with uh, Thomas Jefferson and and, uh, Thomas Paine and and James Madison and George Washington on this one, although George was unquestionably kind of elite in his time, is it, the point of this country is that the quote-unquote elite don't get to run us. We run them. We tell the powerful how they can exercise their power and how they can't, which is the most important part of it, and that if they don't exercise it in a way that we feel is proper, we'd boot their ass out. That's what this country is all about. So listen. We have to be anti-elite. It's incumbent upon us to be at least suspicious of and vigilant against the excesses of the elite. When that leaks over into anti-Semitism, well, that's just bigotry. But you can't blame being suspicious of those who hold power for anti-Semitism. That's just a terrible leap, and it, it undermines a responsibility we have as a free people. Um, and, uh, and just to, to, to the good folks, yes, I'm aware we have a guest next, and yes, we're going to run a little late, but this is more important. So another point to that. You've heard probably over and over again that there has been a climate of rant, uh, rising anti-Semitism, a 57% spike in anti-Semitic hate in 2017, fueled by the ascendancy of Donald Trump. 57% spike in anti-Semitism. The figure comes from a report by the Jewish Anti Defamation League, which is a hardcore activist group, um, and they they come on really really strong. I'll just leave it that, leave it there. But that number is making the rounds once again, following the terrible violence in Pittsburgh. A piece in the Washington Post, written by GQ's Julia Ioffe, argued that according to the Anti Defamation League, the incidents of anti Semitic hate crime jumped nearly sixty percent. In 2017, the biggest increase since they started keeping track in 1979. I'm quoting now. What made 27 so diff- 2017 so different? It was Trump's first year in office. Yafi went on CNN and said that Trump, quote, has radicalized so many more people than ISIS ever did. A comment that drew widespread condemnation and should have. That was a terrible and stupid thing to say. She subsequently apologized for using, quote-unquote, hyperbole, but held her ground on the underlying point. I will add, though, she said, that it is not a coincidence that the number of anti-Semitic attacks has jumped nearly 60% in 2017. So that number is all over. The New York Times threw that around as well, um, various other alphabet networks. The ADL statistics, here's the problem, capture anti-Semitic incidents which is a much broader category of behavior than hate crimes or attacks. Incidents include things like bullying in schools, which is bad, but usually not indicative of criminal conduct. I'm quoting now from the good folks at Reason.com. Indeed, classroom and campus incidents were partly responsible for the spike. The sharp rise reported in ADL's audit on anti-Semitic incidents was due in part due to significant increase in incidents in schools and on college campuses, which nearly doubled for a second year in a row. But as Volokh conspiracy blogger and George Mason University law professor David Bernstein pointed out, and we've talked to him, there's actually a lot of left-wing anti-Israel sentiment on many university campuses. And a lot of the criticism of the state of Israel are not necessarily anti-Semitic, but it's quite possible that a large number of documented incidents in this category were perceived that way by pro-Israel students. And the originators are leftist activists. They're not Trump lovers. The ADL also came up with three subcategories of anti-Semitic incidents, vandalism, harassment, and assault. An increase in vandalism accounts for much of the overall increase. But Bernstein, again from George Mason University, a fine American university, doubts that all of the included incidents were actually anti-Semitism. They were just vandalism. A lot of them did not indicate any anti-Semitism. The harassment category also saw an increase largely due to a series of bomb threats against Jewish institutions in the U.S. Do you remember that? Last year, that was made by a disturbed Israeli teen. It's not clear that these threats were motivated by anti-Semitism at all. And the assault category saw a 47% decrease. And you have to keep in mind that anti-bullying and anti-bigotry is huge on campuses these days. They have deans devoted to this entirely. And so there's been a lot more reporting of stuff, but more reporting of something often indicates greater awareness of it, not greater incidents of it. That 57, or they like to round up to 60% increase in anti-Semitic activity in the wake of Donald Trump being elected, is crap. That number is fiction. The most famous pumpkin farmer in the world is going to start growing pot. Or he's demanding the right to grow pot. Pot instead of pumpkins on Halloween? That's coming up next on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty Show, welcome to it. Michael, I've got to hit you to a trio of songs from Rush. Three consecutive albums, they did a trilogy of songs about fear. Including The Enemy Within, Witch Hunt, and uh, what was the other one? I can't remember the third. It doesn't matter. Uh, So we'll we'll play those for you later. So, uh, for residents of uh, a lot of the West Coast, this is... um, a jolly reminder of, of Halloween fun. Half Moon Bay, pumpkin capital of the world. Farmer John's famous pumpkin patch where he grows the gigantic gourds that many people enjoy. And normal sized uh, pumpkins as well. Farmer John is um, is saying he needs to uh, throw a different crop in at least part of his ground to survive economically. And a lot of the people around Half Moon Bay are unhappy about it. Damon Paletta... Writes about uh, economic policy for the Washington Post and has cast his eye toward the West Coast. Damien, welcome. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. So tell us about Farmer John and Half Moon Bay and the Pumpkins. What's uh, the farmer proposing?
2: Sure. So um, Farmer John's family bought this property, bought this farmland back in the 1950s. They used to grow flowers. And then eventually, around 20 years ago, he shifted over to pumpkins. Um, and you know, he, the pumpkin business does really well. He does grow 60 different varieties of pumpkins, including, like you mentioned, the Atlantic Giants that can grow, you know, 1,500 pounds to 2,000 pounds.
3: Wow! Headline: There are 60 different kinds of pumpkins. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs>
2: right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and um, so, anyway, he 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 does really well. But the pumpkins only sell for, as you can imagine, six weeks a year, and he's having a hard time paying the bills. You know. To, to cover the rest of his costs so what he's telling the town is if i you know i need to be able to grow marijuana in my you know dilapidated greenhouses to help cover my costs and if i can't you know it's, pro- it's likely that i'm going to have to sell the pumpkin farm and so the town's up in arms they, they don't want to lose their beloved pumpkin farmer because as you mentioned they are the consider themselves the world's pumpkin capital but they worry about what this will usher in if they allow you know marijuana to be grown in their community could it change the whole fabric could it change the you know normalization of of marijuana for the youth and that sort of thing so they're really torn over what to do and they're going to vote on it november 6th up or down to decide whether to let him do it
3: wow Multifaceted uh, discussion here multifaceted topic because as a, a property rights guy as a libertarian leaning fellow i would suggest that with marijuana legalized by the good people of california um and and by ample uh, numbers the idea that you can't grow a lawful pl- uh, crop on land you own seems ridiculous to me if it's zoned agricultural uh i you know i get their i get their sympathies i find myself wondering how many people in the half moon bay area voted thumbs up for the legalization of marijuana
2: that's a great question, actually. It's one of the big ironies of the story. 69% of the residents of Half Moon Bay voted to legalize oh, marijuana. You know! But, Fabulous. Yeah, it's funny. Who, I hadn't guess, finished the article. Good, good man. Guess who was in the 31% who voted against it? <laughs> Our Farmer man, Farmer John. John. Farmer John. And so, you know, everyone's kind of on all sides of this. There is concern, especially among the you know, Hispanic community, that if there is, you know, marijuana grown in the, in the area because it's still illegal at the federal level, it could lead to, you know, federal raids that could lead to the deportation of, you know, farm workers. So nice. there's lots of different, you know, pressures here, and it's all coming to a head next week.
3: Yeah, yeah. And the, the difficulty of dealing with money, I know, is still a, an issue with uh, the pot uh, industry. Uh, talking pot and politics and money and pumpkins with Damian Paletta of The Washington Post. You know, Damian, just as an aside, I uh, received a troubling, troubling report from a college student recently, who will not be named, who reported that a fellow student was indeed smoking marijuana I- I- with a pumpkin in, in through a pumpkin positive, Sean, how would you phrase by the, way of pumpkin? By way of a pumpkin, yes, yes. Well, and well, I salute
2: kids can be creative. Well,
3: I salute their creativity and their Halloween spirit. I do not approve of the <laughs> drug abuse. Um, <laughs> s- has there been any thought, Damien, as to the, the defensibility of the dis? If they say, no, you can't grow pot, we just voted on it. That will surely get into courts where those who defend property rights will fight against that decision, right?
2: That's true. I think, and this is being fought, you know, on different levels all over the state. And in fact, there was one area that approved the commercial growing of cannabis and then later, like, went back and banned it. And now the pot growers are suing, I think it's Calaveras County for all these taxes they paid. You know, California has had, you know, the state voted to legalize the recreational use of marijuana, but now there's all these, you know, personal fights. And, and you know, it's really um, intense because people, People really don't know how it could change the fabric of their community. They've seen what's happened in parts of Colorado, where in some areas it hasn't had much of an impact. In other areas, there are reports of higher homelessness and vagrancy and stuff. And and so, you know, I think that people believe you can't put the genie back in the bottle once you've kind of committed to this. And, you know, the, the proposal in Half Moon Bay would just be for nursery plants. It would not be the full you know, marijuana plant that could be used, but it would be Uh kind of the plant plant that gets the process started. And so, you know, there's this big fight over, is that enough? You know, will that limit the damage potentially and help this farmer?
3: Well, we'll follow this one and see how it plays out. It's really an interesting question about constitutional rights, in spite of all the jokes about pumpkins and pot and the rest of it. Damien Paletta of the Washington Post covers economic policy. Hey, Damien, really enjoyed it very much. Well done.
2: Great being with you. Thank you. Thank
3: you. You know, I was going to bring up bad people coming to town to steal the pot. I mean, nobody's going to steal a shuck of corn to get, you know, four or five, six years off there, but a big old mature pot plant. Right. Apparently, Farmer John's not doing that. He's just
1: going to grow little ones and sell them to you. Marshall Phillips, what are our headlines? Build up on the border as the caravan moves ever closer, and Chinese spies accused of stealing even more American technology, stealing what they could go out and just buy. (laughs) All right, we'll have that and much more coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show.
0: Raven hair.
3: Two quick asides before we get to the news. Uh, Marshall and I were just discussing. The case of a 47-year-old man who was arrested for waving chainsaws around right. on a BART at Bay Area Rapid Transit train. Patrick Bingman, age 47, waving around chainsaws, attempting to start
1: one and muttering, I'm going to saw your friggin' head off. Right, they are electric chainsaws. One was in a case. He had one in his hand. He took the other one out of the case and was trying to rev it up.
3: Well, if it's electric, what is he plugging it in? I'm Hold not on.
1: Quite, I, well, He was trying to start no, he was it. Battery I say,
3: Yeah. Um. So, is this a, a, a madman? Was that some sort of would-be Halloween prank? Nobody was hurt. Thank God. Nobody but... was hurt. Great, Scotts. So no. He says he was playing. He was joking. It's not a funny joke, dude. No. Not on Bart. There's so many crazy people at that... hell. Anyway. Uh, And the other side is, I was talking about anti-Semitism and the fake statistic being thrown around by the mainstream media about um, the rise in anti-Semitic incidents being pushed by the ADL. Um, And Philip Klein wrote a really good piece in the Washington Examiner about how anti-Semitism is thousands of years old, is global it's an ongoing problem it's a real challenge for jewish people and to make it about trump or to somehow say it's because of trump completely misunderstands and diminishes misunderstands anti-semitism and diminishes the chance that anything productive can be done about it it and it's a great example of the way the mainstream media functions they are so desperate for ratings or so deranged about trump they try to make everything about trump and if you make anti Semitism or the shootings in Pittsburgh about Trump, you have done a terrible disservice to Jewish people right. and to the fight against anti Semitism. It's just stupid. And it's either greedy or obsessive or both. Just cut it out. Marshall, what are our news stories for this hour?
1: Well, it is uh, 7.30. The uh, markets are open, and I wanted to check in on this Halloween. Are the markets giving us a trick or a treat? Positive, Sean, with your one-word update. Oh, the markets are ascending. Ascending. They
3: had a good day yesterday. Yeah, yeah, buddy. Here's here's your uh, breakdown of the stock market. It it goes up and it goes down.
1: Both things can happen.
3: And historically, (laughs) it goes up.
1: Meanwhile, at the border, they're gearing up. The first 800 of the more than 5,000 active-duty troops is heading to the southern border. Likely, they're going to first stop at a staging area in Texas before moving further south. Now, the Defense Department planning documents obtained by ABC News indicate there's going to be two aviation units from the 82nd Airborne at Fort Bragg, several military police companies from Fort Bliss, among the 10 units that will be deploying to the border. Glad to hear we got airborne assets. We're going to strafe them. 50, Bomb them. 5,200 troops approved for the mission are going to be based in California, Arizona, and Texas. And additionally, ABC News has learned that 2,000 active duty troops have been placed on prepared to deploy orders in case the mission requires additional forces.
3: Now, a great deal of fever pitch discussion is taking place around this. I will tell you this, that the the military guys are almost certainly going to be fixing jeeps and preparing meals and helping build the camps for these people once they get there. You know, Trump would like to portray it as they'll be there with bayonets fixed to defend the country. And liberals are trying to portray it as if they'll be there bayonets fixed to defend Trump's xenophobia. But the reality is going to be much more benign, honestly. And the announced policy of, look, we're going to put them into camps. We're going to give them nice tents. They're going to be comfortable. They're going to be safe. They're going to be fed as we uh, figure out their... uh, status Their status yeah. as refugees—that's that's perfectly reasonable. Who could be against that? I, I, as a bit of a hardliner on these issues, I have great sympathy for the idea of look. Here's how you apply for refugee status: you go to a port of entry, and then you fill out the forms. You don't flood across the border, throw up your hands, and say, "You know, la migra, uh, I'm an immigrant, I'm a, uh, a refugee." That's not the way it works. If you do that, we're going to boot you out. Go to a port of entry follow the rules. I have no problem with that.
1: Meanwhile, it turns out the migrant caravan uh, making its way to the border is still hundreds of miles south of the border in Mexico and half the size now than when it started. Federal prosecutors are saying Chinese intelligence officers and hackers working for them have been charged with commercial espionage that included trying to steal information on commercial jet engines. Prosecutors in San Diego say the indictments uh, include officers working for the foreign intelligence arm of China's Ministry of State Security. China! U.S. Attorney Adam Braverman saying this action yet another example of criminal efforts by Chinese intelligence to facilitate the theft of private data for China's commercial gain.
3: There's also a story, where is that story? We were talking about it before the show. Uh, substantiating what I've been trying to tell her for years, because I have it from counterintelligence officials, that American universities are absolutely lousy with Chinese spies who are masquerading as research. Well, they are researchers, but they're right. researching what they can steal. <laughs> but, yeah, there are so many Chinese scholars in America who are spies right. for the government. Where's that? Oh, Hanson, our executive producer's on the phone. But we'll be talking about that at some point, too.
1: Meanwhile, the U.S. attorney going on to say the concerted effort to steal rather than simply purchase commercially available products should offend every company that invests talent, energy, and shareholder money into the development of products. So they're stealing stuff they could buy? That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. That's odd. It is. It is indeed. Alright, one last note. Kanye West getting out of politics. The musician tweeting yesterday, my eyes are now wide open and now realize I've been used to spread messages I don't believe in. What? I am distancing myself from politics and completely focusing on being creative. Well, over the weekend, A conservative commentator named Candace Owens debuted a new line of clothing for the Blexit campaign that encourages African-American voters to vote for Republicans. Blexit? Black people exiting the Democratic Party? I get it. Yes. West tweeted Tuesday he had nothing to do with the campaign. He says, I introduced Candace to the person who made the logo and they didn't want their name on it, so she used mine. I never wanted any association with Blexit. I have nothing to do with it. So I think that's what he's talking about when he oh, says okay. his eyes have been opened. All right, Kenny. Fine. Go back to your wacky raps and finish your concerts. <laughs> there you go. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. remember when everybody was talking about Kanye
3: for about a cup of coffee. <laughs> remember when he was in the Oval Office with Jim Brown just kind of going yes. off? That was good times. With Jim yeah. Brown? That never happened. <laughs> Most popular Halloween costumes uh, for the decades, uh, decade by decade. Also, most popular Halloween candies in every state. A little palate cleanser after all the gloom and doom and the news and the rest of it. Also, the uh, chainsaw Bart guy, Yep, he stole those chainsaws. Now, to get on a train, wave around stolen chainsaws and say, I'm going to cut your friggin' head off, that's not normal, No. Not So, he says, nah, I was joking, I was playing. Yeah, okay, okay. all right. You got an odd way of playing. You got a strange sense of humor, dude. Keep an eye on you. All right, the Halloween stuff and uh, the big news of the day. Coming up, Armstrong and Getty Show.
2: Armstrong and Getty. The
3: conscience of the nation.
2: The Armstrong and Getty Show.
0: The night is black without a moon. The air is thick and still. The vigilantes gather on
3: the lonely torchlight hill. Thanks, Michael album, Witch Hunt, Rush, song about censorship. One of the reasons H.L. Uh, Mencken is one of my heroes, he wrote extensively about right-wing censorship in the 20th century, uh, which was amazing. You can't believe the power that various individuals in America had to just declare books should not be published. There's one dude in Boston who somehow, I can't remember his name, but... He became the guardian of the morals police in Boston, and somehow other places started to look to him and Boston for whether stuff should be published or not. And this guy became the de facto American censor for a long time, and some of the stuff that was banned is absolutely laughable and ridiculous. Uh, reject censorship. It For the longest time in the 20th, 20th century, it was the right. It was conservatism that was behind most illogical, idiotic, and oppressive and un-American censorship. It is now the left. Substantially the left. Reject it. Reject it whether it's people you agree with or don't agree with. Thank you. End of screed. So, uh, anyway, happy Halloween to everybody. My kids are uh, grown. They've flown the nest. And uh, they've gone as far away as possible, apparently. (coughs) Ah, But um, I loved Halloween. I've told the story before of uh, my my fabulous but utterly practical Midwestern wife uh, Judy. Would really attempt to tap the brakes on my efforts to make our house the Halloween spooktacular capital of the neighborhood. Um, I'd always want. If I had the fog machine, the thunder and lightning machine, the spiders, the webs, the the ghouls, the gravestones, the goblins, the uh, the ghosts. She said, "You've spent enough." Can you imagine that? Can you imagine speaking of censorship? Yeah, but I showed her, and then we ended up with a garage full of crap we don't use anymore. But I gave it gave it away. Most popular Halloween costumes per decade. Let's count backwards, shall we? The twenty uh, tens, which we're now in, although not for much longer. Good Lord, time flies when you're getting older. Uh, counting up from number five, Wonder Woman. Number four, Harley Quinn. That's, uh, what's uh, what's that from?
0: It's like the the Joker's kind of girlfriend is probably the, the closest okay. common phrase. From
3: but... the comics or the movies? The comic or... books, yeah.
0: Okay. If if you have a young daughter, don't let her dress up as Harlequin. Number Wonder th- Woman's great, Harlequin not so
3: much. Is she a hoe? Kind of, yeah. Okay. yeah. Number three, Frozen. A Frozen uh, movie-related costume. I've never seen that one uh, because my kids were older and, I don't know. I sure loved some of those movies we watched together, but I haven't gone back to watch the kid movies. Number two, oh, except How to Train Your Dragon, that one I really liked. Number two, Game of Thrones related costumes. Number one, Marvel's Avengers. Of course, that's a lot of different costumes. Yeah, superheroes. The decade of the two thousands. Who could forget it? Number five, Britney Spears. <laughs> that's just gals wanting to dress all sexy for Halloween. Well, that which was also during not her a terrible thing
0: crazy fit like the head shaved phase and that was yeah that, was, well, that
3: wasn't crazy that was trying to beat a drug test i believe that, that. was explained to me because she was in a bit of a custody thing and she didn't want her hair tested for drugs because that your your drugs you do stick in your hair for a very long time even if you have beautiful hair stupid hair number three spongebob SquarePants. <laughs> i'm sorry i forgot i skipped number four spider-man Spider-Man, then SpongeBob SquarePants. Number two, The Joker. I'm assuming that would be the Heath Ledger Joker in the 2000s. Yeah, I think that was like 2008-ish. Yeah, okay. And number one, Harry Potter. A Harry Potter-related costume. The 90s. South Park, Simpsons, Power Rangers, Star Trek, and your Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. When I was a kid, the...
0: If you would have asked me, probably there was probably a good five-year run there. Where what do you want to be when you grow up? A
3: ninja turtle. Wow, wow! It's really awe-inspiring that these uh, turtles would mutate, and that they'd mutate into ninjas. I mean, anybody who's ever studied genetics realizes how unlikely that is. Well, they just
0: mutated into more humanoid forms. It was their sensei Splinter, the rat, who also got mutated, who
3: then turned them into ninjas. Excellent point, well made. Moving along,
0: I'm a
1: ninja. Also certified ninja.
3: (laughs) The (laughs) 1980s, your most popular costumes from number five to number one. Jason, your Friday the 13th, Jason. Number uh, four, Elvira. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Push-up bras uh, surging in sales. Uh, Number three, Madania. Again, girls wanting to dress all sexy. Number two, ALF. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Acronym for Alien Life Form.
3: Yeah, right. uh, number one, Star Wars. Star Wars related costume. A buddy of mine uh, in high school made an incredibly big, elaborate Star Wars costume. We worked on it for months. It was one of those animules. It was in the second Star Wars, the original series, of course. The others are bastard Star Warses. Uh, the original, remember when uh, Luke and I think Han, somebody was riding around on these big, they're like big, furry uh, Tyrannosaurus ostriches. Uh, a Tauntaun is what you're referring to. That's right. And, uh, and and he made one of those. It was quite uh, convincing, too. It was beautiful. Beautifully made. He is now a uh, an esteemed professor of, I believe, audiology. It was also in that episode where Han Solo took the lightsaber and cut open the
0: tauntaun for warmth and one of the only times that a non-Jedi wielded a lightsaber in the Star Wars universe.
3: Thank you for that. <laughs> Your most popular Halloween candies in every state. How do we approach that? Listening areas, probably? That sounds good. Uh, we'll begin with Cal Unicornia. Corrupt California. counting up from number three to number one, number three, assorted saltwater taffy. Oh, it's by pounds. Well, that's unfair because your heavier candy is getting advantage. Although if you've ever walked any of the touristy areas, every oceanic tourist area in California has a wharf where the tourists go and every single one sells a lot of taffy. So it's not quite as old t- timey as Jack would point out if he were here, but he's not because he's sick. Number two, M&M's number one, Skittles. Skittles in
0: California.
3: MMs remain
0: the candy that I go back to most often. As I as I have eliminated almost all sweets and sugars and stuff. Um the, the
3: MMs are, are sometimes uh oh, that's I
1: sounds n- good. never
3: ever eat candy, but I will occasionally while traveling have some peanut M&M's on the plane. It's a little pleasure during the Cattle-like abuse and nightmare of traveling, and you have that
0: skillets and iced tea. <laughs> the brief moment—it's a peanut M&M. There's healthy stuff in there.
3: Skillets, by the way, never recline your seat, you a holes. Every inch you grab, you took away from somebody else. It's selfish. We're all in this together. We're all being treated like godless, mindless, soon to be slaughtered livestock. Let's make it as pleasant as possible for each other. Moving along, and put your shoes on. Oh, goes without saying. Uh, beautiful Oregon, where my boy lives. Number three, candy corn, delicious, delicious, yummy candy corn. I can say that because Jack isn't here. He hates it because he's a hater. M and M's in second. Reese's cups, favorite candy in Oregon. Nice. That's a good. That's a good cup. Way to represent Oregon. Shout out to Washington. Skit skillets. Tootsie pops. Tootsie pops. What? And saltwater taffy. That's got to be the tourist areas. It's a lollipop that gets worse in the middle. No, no. It's got that weird chocolatey dental work wrecker thing in the middle. (laughs) That's supposed to be chocolate. Coming up, midterm analysis by a man in the know, The Armstrong and Getty Show.
0: Step into the
3: world of power, loyalty,
0: and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family
1: homes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.